We'll hear argument now in number 941655, uh, Janet Reno versus Bossier Parish School Board. And uh, George Price versus Bossier Parish School Board. How do you pronounce the name of this parish? Do you know, Mr. Patrick? Uh, it, we, it is usually referred to, it has been in litigation, as Bossier Parish, but in Louisiana, it's Bossier. Bossier, okay. And if you say Bozier, if you say Bozier, uh, in the course of this, I'll probably be confused. Well, so if you say Bozier, it would be helpful. You would think in French it would be Bossier rather than Bozier. Bossier. Oui. Very well, Mr. Patrick, <laughs> you may proceed, whatever the name of Allez-y. Allons. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. The um, Bossier Paris School Board adopted the redistricting plan at issue in this case with a discriminatory purpose, plain and simple. And in finding otherwise, the district court ignored evidence that this court has required fact finders to consider since its decision in the Arlington Heights case, evidence of racial block voting and of the recent history of uh, discrimination in voting and otherwise in Bossier Parish, evidence that was undisputed, indeed was stipulated below. Uh, Mr. Penn, when you say the district court ignored the evidence, you don't mean that it excluded it as a matter of admission of evidence, but just that it refused to take it into consideration in making its conclusion. Frankly, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, it's very hard to say. Um, there was not a, an evidentiary ruling in the classic sense, uh, in this, because all of the evidence came into the, uh, uh, into the record by way of stipulation without objection by, uh, uh, by the parties. But what is plain is that the court did not even mention the Arlington Heights case or the Arlington Heights standards. Uh, and in one point, at one point in the, uh, uh, in the decision went so far as to say that it would not expressly consider uh, the evidence of uh, the history of discrimination in the school board. And when you can excuse me. If it came in by stipulation, it's, it's not an evidentiary point, really. It, it, it's, it's an argument that, that the court's refusal to take it into consideration makes its findings clearly erroneous or wrong as a matter of law. Well, as a matter of law in the first instance, Your Honor, because uh, under Arlington Heights, which requires that in uh, making a determination of purposeful discrimination, that the court take into account the totality of the circumstances. And where Rogers versus Lodge has said that this specific kind of evidence is, uh, is important to a determination of purposeful discrimination, we argue in the first instance that there was a violation of, uh, that there was a legal error. And indeed, when you take... How do we know that they didn't take that into account? Uh, because they did not, in the first instance, even cite the Arlington Heights uh, 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 precedent. They did not indicate what standard uh, was being used in the, uh, if you look at the analysis... I'm talking about particular evidence. What particular evidence do you, do you maintain they did not, they did not take account of? Two, how do you know that they didn't take account of There are two kinds of evidence, and then to the question, uh, Your Honor, about how we know they didn't take account of it. First of all, the evidence of racial block voting. This is a... This is a community where the parties have stipulated that 80% of the voters in the parish will not vote for a candidate of a race different than they. That is stipulated at 122A of the but record. Didn't, didn't the, I mean, the, the response that's made by the appellee here is that the court, that all that that would prove is that, uh, that therefore, since there was block voting, uh, it, would, it would advantage the black voters if there were 
a majority black districting. But didn't the court assume that to be true? No, Your Honor. I don't think... That, I, excuse me. Did you... I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I thought that the court's discussion just, just takes as a given that it, that it, it would be uh, to the benefit of the blacks if, if they had a, a, a majority-minority district. I'm not sure that we can fairly assume that from the district court's opinion. What the district court said uh, is that evidence of this kind is relevant to Section 2, and there's no question about that. But we contend, and Arlington Heights supports us, that it is independently relevant to the question of purposeful discrimination. Uh, there is no evidence, in fact, on this record which is relevant to the one question, the Section 2 question, but not relevant to the purpose determination in the, uh, in the case. And indeed, the court expressly refused, uh, in its opinion at 34A, footnote 18, the evidence that the board itself was in violation of the federal desegregation uh, order uh, with respect to the schools. So that when you take into account the evidence that was excluded, and, uh, and the, both the racial block voting and the history of discrimination, all of which is stipulated and uncontested below, and you think, uh, and you consider that in light of the other evidence that was considered, that the well, The evidence wasn't so much excluded as not considered. I think that's, I think that's fair to say. When I say, when I think of excluded as a trial lawyer, I think of a, of a, of a, um, of a ruling on yeah. evidence. That's, uh, that's right. And because all of the stipulations came into the record, uh, without, uh, without objection on relevance or any other, uh, uh any other grounds, I think, uh, has, I think Your Honor is right. Has this that. court applied Arlington Heights in a Section 5 determination? Do you know? What this court has done I, in... I thought we had not, but what do you rely on? I rely on Rogers versus Lodge, which is a, uh, which, as you know, is a case where the court has said uh, that the Arlington Heights factors are probative of the judgment about whether there is purposeful discrimination under the Voting Rights Act. I, th I think what is key uh, in your analysis and consideration of this case is that you bear in mind all of the facts, as Arlington Heights uh, requires, all of the facts and circumstances known to the board at the time, and ask yourself, does it add up? This is a plan, you understand, that is against the school board's own interests, both its districting and its governance interests. This is a school board that is typically concerned about distributing the schools among the school districts and yet adopted a plan that has some school districts with no schools in it at all. That is stipulated at 112A and 73A of the record. Mr. It, Patrick, do, would you clarify for me what you think the legal standard is before we go much further into the argument. That is, we know that the effect, what they call the effect prong of Section 5, is about retrogression. Yes. What does the pur what is the purpose, what does it mean, what does the statute mean when it says, shall not have the purpose of denying the right to vote on account of race? We take that to mean that the factors that the school board has to show a non-discriminatory purpose within the meaning of Arlington Heights by taking into account the totality of the circumstances, uh, looking at the actions and inactions, in this case, of the, uh, of the school board and reaching the conclusion they did, all the facts and circumstances known to the board at the time. And that it has the burden of proof on, on that point. That's right. Um, I was saying about the, uh, about the plan that, the, that they did adopt it. This is a plan which it is conceded does not uh, uh, respect school attendance zones. That's also stipulated in this record in 112, 112A. It pits incumbents against each other. The way the district court put it was that it wreaks havoc on incumbencies. That's 28A in the, in the court's opinion. About half of the parish 
uh, was placed in one district. That's also at 120A. And then in other places, it fractures neighborhoods, 110A to 111A. These are all stipulated facts. Mr. Patrick, would it, would it have been open or was it open to the district court to accept all of this and say, look, all of this evidence does point in the direction uh, of, of, of intent to discriminate. But there's a piece of counter evidence here. And that is the, the moment at which the board seemed to, to turn around and suddenly embrace the police district plan, which it did not originally want, was the moment at which it became apparent that there was going to be a fight about this. It was the moment following the NAACP's uh, submission, I think, of a couple of plans. And, and it is findable on this record that what the, what the board wanted to do was to avoid seven years of litigation and basically, the board said, look, we'll take peace, uh, even though we don't like the way we're getting it. We'll take peace uh, with all of these defects. If, if that was the, the court's reasoning process, would that have been clearly erroneous, or indeed was that clearly erroneous? It was clearly erroneous. It's not entirely clear that that was the court's, I, I uh, the court's reasoning. What, what, uh, what the court said was that it might be a legitimate reason uh, to seek easy preclearance. Um, what Your Honor's question implies is that the reason was that they wanted to avoid a controversy with the uh, uh, with the black citizens. But they wanted to, well, they wanted to avoid litigation. They could see it coming. If that's what it if that's what it was, I do think Your Honor is right that the process and the sequence of events leading up to the decision is extremely telling, and indeed Arlington Heights requires that that be considered uh, as well. This is a process that was undertaken more than three years before uh, they needed the plan. So if we didn't have the process and the sequence, if we just had a lazy school board that said, oh, the police jury got this plan and it was uh, pre-cleared. So we'll take it with all its faults. If there hadn't been that, would, this, would it have been okay? I think it would be a very different, uh, a very different case. Uh, clearly, the, the, uh, that's not the case we have here because we have a board that expected to draw a plan different from the police jury plan at the outset. That is stipulated, too, as well in the record. And indeed, we have a, uh, we have a board that had a different plan from the police uh, jury for a decade or more before uh, they, were, uh, they were faced with the redistricting, uh, redistricting considerations. This is a board that hired a cartographer with the expectation he would spend 200 or 250 hours drawing a plan different from the police jury and went about that at a leisurely place for over a year. Everything changed when the black citizens came forward and asked that they be fairly represented in the districting are, are you, are you Are you certain that the district court here uh, meant to exclude evidence that he called relevant to the Section 2? Meant to, was he saying, I'm not even going to consider that when I think about whether Section 5 was violated, or is he saying, you can't build a Section 5 case out of only that. Well, we're certainly not contending that you can build a Section 5 out of only uh, Section 5 case out of only that. But uh, uh, frankly, there is no way to understand the district court's opinion by saying that it won't consider for Section 5 purposes evidence that's relevant to Section 2 on a record where all of the evidence is relevant both to Section 2 and Section 5 as other than, uh, or meaning the, uh, the purpose prong of, uh, of Section 5. Well, what what is the evidence, and this was what Justice Scalia asked at, at the very first, and I wasn't yes. sure that you completed your answer, and it's relevant to what you're discussing now with Justice Pryor. Well, what is the evidence other than block voting that should have been considered and that was not? 
uh, that uh, that no uh, black person had ever been elected to the school board. That stipulated in 115A that there had never been more than one black member of the police jury. That's in the joint appendix of 55 to 60. That blacks had rarely been elected anywhere in the parish uh, at the time. That's stipulated in 127. Those are all okay. subsidiary elements of the black voting. That's right. And then the, in terms of the history of discrimination, at the time of the decision, this board was in violation of its duty to redress school segregation under Brown. That was noted by the district court to be sure in footnote two of the right, So again, most of these things are in the record. It's just not clear that the well, district court the weighed them in a section two context. They're, they're, you're is right. That, that, is that a fair statement? You're right that they're all in the record, uh, uh, Justice Kennedy. There's no question about that. What is apparent, however, is that the district court was not taking them into account as is required by Arlington Heights in making its judgment about purposeful discrimination. And with respect to the history of discrimination, remember this is a school board that stipulated on the record that segregation has increased since uh, uh, the court, since they've been under federal court order, and indeed that they were assigning teachers to schools on racial grounds. Uh, this is a uh, 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 the, the district court um, said expressly in footnote 18 of its opinion that it would not consider evidence that the board itself was in violation of its uh, of its duties under the federal court order to desegregate the schools. That's the evidence that was dis that was not considered. Uh, that is the evidence that should have been considered under the Arlington Heights uh, uh, standard. And if you add to that, and I want to come back to the sequence uh, uh, issues in just a moment, but if you add to that that this is a school board that came before the United States District Court to say nothing of the Attorney General and urged false reasons, false reasons for why it was uh, uh, why it was. Uh, why it made the decision it did. I said we submit that a jurisdiction with a clean, non-discriminatory motive does not come to the United States District Court and urge false reasons. And there was Here, here's what footnote 18 says. It seems to me entirely reasonable. Defendant mentions the continuing duty of this. Where are you reading? It's on page 34A of the of the juris, of the appendix to the jurisdictional statement. Defendant mentions the continuing duty of the school board to, quote, remedy any remaining vestiges of the dual school system under the order in Lemon versus Bossier Parish School Board, citing in particular the school board's failure to maintain a biracial committee. We fail to see how this can be in any way related to the school board's purpose in adopting the police jury plan. I, I don't, that seems to me quite, uh, quite reasonable. Well, Your Honor, it... Uh... The court considered it but in its judgment, uh, did not find it to be related. Now, uh, uh, must the court find that it proves what you want it to prove in, in, in order to uh, comply with the law? It seems to me the court need only consider it, and then it's a matter of judgment whether, uh, whether it, it shows the, uh, uh, the animus or not. What weight it's given is a matter of judgment. Uh, 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 guided by the, uh, guided by the precedence of this court, but whether it relates has been resolved by this court. That's what Arlington Heights is about. Arlington I, Heights I take says, it can be in any way related means whether it has anything to do with as a factual matter. That's right. And Arlington Heights says that it does have something to do with the determination about whether there was or was not purposeful discrimination. Legislative or administrative history at 268 of the Arlington Heights opinion was specifically noted. And indeed, the Rogers versus Lodge case uh, 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 states that that evidence, evidence of this very kind, bears heavily on the issue of purposeful discrimination is indeed important evidence of purposeful exclusion. I'd like to reserve the balance of my time for rebuttal if I may. Very well, Mr. Patrick. Thank you. Mr. Borkowski, we'll hear from you.
Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. I'd like to start with the question Justice Scalia just asked about footnote 18, because that shows uh, very clearly, I think, what has been going on in Bossier Parish. The evidence that the Court didn't look at there dealt with the Board's exclusion, admitted exclusion of blacks from educational policy issues. The Court had ordered that a committee be established to allow blacks for, to have an opportunity for input into school board issues. This is a kind of non-responsiveness, the kind of exclusion that is exactly what happened in the redistricting process. Well, if, if, we're, if you're going to get into the sort of detail that you say Arlington Heights requires us to get into, I would think that it would be important to know whether the school board's failure to maintain a biracial committee was the result of hostility to the idea, neglect, maybe unable to have the funds, maybe just uh, just uh, we got lost in the shuffle. You know, just saying it failed to maintain a biracial committee, if we're going to get into sort of textual detail that Arlington Heights says, you have to know more about it than that. That's absolutely right. And the facts on this record are that the board admitted in the direct testimonies of Mr. Musgrove and Mr. Myrick, the two board members who testified, that when this committee started to get into educational policy issues, they disbanded it because they did not want this committee having a role in it. What was the committee set up to deal with educational policy issues? Yes, it was. The consent decree established it for that purpose. And the representations uh, to the contrary, as we point out in our reply brief, in the Appellee's brief, are simply false, and the record bears that out. And your your position is that all these matters, and, and many others like them, must become a part of a Section 5 case and must be resolved uh, under Section 2 standards before there can be uh, a preclearance decision can be made? These facts only become uh, relevant in a purpose determination. Had the board come forward and, and not and been able to show legitimate reasons, and there were not, these, this, not this pattern there, this evidence wouldn't come in. This is an unusual case. In this purpose determination, these factors have to be considered. Well, but, but, but I, I thought there were two points. Uh, one is, is that it may be relevant to purpose. Uh, the other is uh, that there must be a specific ruling on whether or not there is or is not a Section 2 violation. Don't you, have, don't you make both arguments here? I'm focusing here on the, on the purpose argument only. And uh, Justice O'Connor asked whether the Arlington Heights standard was the standard for Section 5 and in Pleasant Grove. Even the dissenters um, who did not find discriminatory purpose cited Arlington Heights as the proper standard to apply, and decisions that this court has affirmed, Busby versus Smith and Port Arthur, also applied Arlington Heights, and it's the, it's the constitutional standard. Uh, and so I'm just talking at this point about the purpose argument. All of these factors under Arlington Heights are relevant to showing discriminatory purpose, and the court erred in excluding it. As Justice Scalia asked, how do we know that the, that the court did this? Well, the court said... Uh, we will not permit Section 2 evidence to prove discriminatory Where, where are you reading from, Mr. Uh, 24A uh, in the appendix to the jurisdictional state. On 23A, the court said we must, uh, it's argued that we must consider oh, evidence. Whereabouts on 23A? So we can, we can follow sure. you when you on, read. On 23A and 24A, the court at three different times says that it's not going to consider this evidence. Uh, we'll point out at least 23A at the beginning of the first paragraph. We, uh, it's argued that we must still consider evidence of a Section 2 violation as evidence of discriminatory purpose under Section 5. We again disagree. 
at the bottom of that paragraph, and Miller forecloses the permitting of Section 2 evidence in a Section 5 case. And then at the end of that section on 24A, we will not permit Section 2 evidence to prove discriminatory purpose under Section 5. Judge Kessler, in dissent, in footnote 4... Well, excuse me. Uh, I took that to... Evidence of a violation, I took that to mean evidence that a violation existed rather than evidence which could be used to show a violation for the one could be used to show a violation for the other. I took that to mean we reject the notion that you can come in and say uh, the district is in violation of Section 2. And you, you quarrel with that statement, too. You, you, you would allow a Section 2 violation to be, uh, uh, to be brought in. Yes. But what's, what we're discussing here is whether evidence that would go to show a violation may be brought in, and I don't see this as contradicting that. Well, there are, there are three different statements, and one of the statements that the statement you refer to could be interpreted that way. But Judge Kessler, in dissent, in, says, to, says in footnote um, 4 on page 42a that the majority is not considering this evidence, and the majority never says it is. If you look at the evidence the majority analyzes, it only analyzes two types of evidence and doesn't look at all sorts of evidence. Um, you ask what was excluded. The fact that the board's plan fractures black neighborhoods, the same neighborhoods that the school board members consciously kept together in drawing 75% black school attendance boundaries, were fractured by this plan. That's a, those are stipulated, unrebutted facts on this record that appear nowhere in the majority's discussion of discriminatory intent, uh, because they would also be relevant to Section 2. There are communities of interest uh, that our clients have and other black voters in Bossier Parish have that are established by the testimony that is nowhere discussed in the majority's opinion. The, what this court has called the inexorable zero, the fact that no blacks had ever been elected to the school board, is nowhere discussed in the analysis of the board's purpose. And we think these, this kind of evidence cannot logically be excluded just because it's also relevant to a section. Well, when you say excluded, you mean the court may not fail to consider it. Yes, I'm sorry, I misspoke there. But all of this evidence is stipulated facts, is testimony admitted into the record before this court. It's just not considered in the majority opinion. Didn't isn't mentioned in the majority opinion. And, and it, uh, suppose, uh, suppose the court considered it but didn't mention it in its opinion. Is, it, uh, is, the, is the judgment invalid because it was not mentioned in the opinion? No. I mean, there, there are two different points. Number right. one is that the court didn't even consider it. And, and, and if I agree with your interpretation of the language we were just discussing, then, then you would have established that the court didn't even consider it. But arguably the court could have considered it, but not have thought it uh, germane enough or significant enough to be mentioned in its opinion. Would that also be a violation? I don't believe it would be a violation per se, simply not to mention evidence that is considered. The point here is that if the, if the court actually did consider this evidence, which in every category of evidence in Arlington Heights shows discriminatory purpose, it could not have reached the conclusion that it reached. As Judge Kessler said in dissent, this is, the evidence is far from being equally convincing on either side. If you look at all of the stipulated and unrebutted evidence, this is not a close case. The problem here with the majority's approach and the problem in, in, if this court were to affirm the majority's decision is that it would effectively eviscerate the purpose prong of Section 5. 
It would mean that the only kind of discriminatory purpose that would be reachable under Section 5 would be publicly admitted or covertly tape-recorded discriminatory purpose. Because every other category of evidence that this court has said in Arlington Heights requires a sensitive inquiry is here. So what would you say is the instruction on, on your view of this case that the district court should be given were we to remand? Uh, the district court, you did wrong, and this is what you should do. I believe that on this record, the court should not, uh, should, should simply remand with instructions to that preclearance be denied, because the record here overwhelmingly establishes discriminatory purpose. There's but no we way... Don't, we don't agree with you on that, and we think that the first shot anyway should be, or the second, done by the district court. What, what then? Then I would say that you would have to remand with instructions to apply Arlington Heights and to look at all of the evidence that this court, in the voting context, in Section 5 cases, in school cases, in all cases where intent is an issue, to look at that evidence in all of those categories, keeping in mind that the burden of proof is on the school board here. There was also evidence that the court considered um, that the court offered its own explanations for, which we cite in our briefs as another legal error. The only evidence, contemporaneous direct evidence, of the board's intent uh, are admissions that tend to show discriminatory purpose. There are no contemporaneous minutes offering non-racial reasons for why the board did what it did. There's no legislative history indicating non-racial reasons. There are statements that some board members are hostile to black Thank you, Mr. Borkowski. Uh, Mr. Carvin, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the court. Let me begin by focusing on the standard that the district court actually did apply in assessing the evidence. Appellants would have this court believe that the district court had in front of it a body of evidence that it considered probative to the question of purpose. And it sifted through that evidence and throughout all the evidence that it also thought was relevant to Section 2. But, of course, the district court did not say that and did not do that. But my difficulty... Excuse me. I'm sorry. My difficulty with that argument uh, is is, uh, goes to uh, a statement which the court made back on 23A, which we were referring to a moment ago in the the, the appendix. Do you have that handy? Yes, I do. Okay. I, I, I will agree that some of the court's statements about what it was doing with evidence perhaps were ambiguous and, 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 and lent themselves to your interpretation. But at the bottom of the page, the court quotes... 23A? From, yes, page 23A. The court quotes from a, a panel opinion uh, of a different panel, but of the same court. And this is what it says. As the panel noted... The court in Miller reaffirmed that the purpose prong of Section 5 must be analyzed within the context of Section 5's purpose, which has always been to ensure that no voting procedure changes would be made that would lead to a retrogression in the position of racial minorities. Now, it seems to me that the court is there making it clear that the only purpose evidence it would consider was evidence of purpose to effect a retrogression as opposed to a broader purpose to discriminate. Isn't that fairly clear? Uh, no, it's not, Your then, Honor. Then explain that. Uh, first of all, the case he is citing from did not w- was making the point that in analyzing purpose, 
you must look at the limited purpose of Section 5 and not get into these additional Section 2 issues that the Justice Department had urged upon the court in Texas and was also urging upon the court here. But more directly to answer your question, of course it was stipulated in this case that there was no retrogressive effect of the plan. So uh, under your understanding of the district court opinion, the district court would have only been looking at, at did they have a purpose to affect a retrogression? This would have been a very short opinion indeed if that had been its analysis. It did not look at the purpose of the new plan compared to the status quo ante. It looked at the purpose of the new plan as compared to the maximization alternative proposed by the NAACP. The, the plan adopted had no black majority districts. The NAACP plan had two black majority districts. The district court spent its entire opinion analyzing, did the board do that, its decision, because of its negative impact on minority voters or in spite of it? Did it have legitimate non-discriminatory motives for rejecting the NAACP plan, or was it motivated by a racial then, reason? Then why did it so, quote what, it, what I just read? Again, because... I mean, doesn't the, the, the quotation doesn't seem to make any sense but, in your theory of, of the court's view of, of purpose. No, but, but in isolation it may not. But the context is this, Your Honor. You've had five Section 5 courts who were trying to analyze why did a submitting jurisdiction make a change? What was the purpose behind that change? And they are examining all circumstantial and direct evidence relating to the change. The Justice Department in all five of those cases and here says, don't just look at what was motivating the board at the time. We also want you to consider all the, of this additional Section 2 evidence, as they're arguing here. We want you to consider racial block voting in prior elections. And the district courts in Section 5 cases have consistently responded to the Justice Department. Section 5 has a much more limited purpose. Well, what is, what is your position here? Is, is it your position here that the only purpose that is relevant under Section 5 is purpose to cause retrogression as distinct from purpose to discriminate by, by effecting a purposeful dilution? Oh, no. No, not at all. I think that decision, uh, the court's decision in Richmond and Pleasant Grove has already decided that issue. And indeed, since it was stipulated that it didn't even have the effect of retrogression, you can obviously assume they didn't have the purpose to retrogress, and this would have been a but one could have been a, but There could have been a purpose to dilute. Yes, that's the whole point. Even though you're not making things worse, we can conceive of circumstances where there's a fully reasonable alternative put in front of you that preserves black concentrations pursuant to traditional districting principles, but nonetheless, because you are a racist school board, you say, no, we're not going to do that. So if everybody agrees on that, if everybody agrees that the purpose is really the purpose to cause discrimination, not just the purpose not to retrogress, if everybody agrees at least sometimes a lot of the Section 2 evidence in this case would be relevant, if not dispositive, not necessarily dispositive, but relevant to showing that. And we're all we're arguing about is how ambiguous the district court's opinion is. Why don't we just send it back to the district court to work it out, say, be clear, take it into account, and do it? There is no dispute as to what the district court did. Appellants have now changed their opinion as to the legal standard applied. L let me proceed in two steps. A district court, in analyzing whether or not two non progressive plans reflect discriminatory purposes, compares the maximizing alternative to the plan adopted, and again asks, do we have a legitimate non-discriminatory purpose? There's an impact here. One's got black majority districts, one does not. 
Now, what the appellants are asking district courts to do is, after they've figured out is whether that impact is motivated by discriminatory purpose, go ahead and analyze racial block voting. Well, what would that show you? All racial block voting is relevant to is whether the black majority districts have an impact. If you have no racial block voting, if you have no history of uh, discrimination that currently excludes blacks, then there's no difference, as this court no noted in Johnson versus DeGrande, between white majority districts and black majority districts. Blacks can be elected in both districts. So if the district court had gone on this detour that appellants insist they do, it, it do, it would have, and it agreed with them entirely, it would have returned to precisely the place it started, which is, Yes, the NAACP plan, the failure to adopt it, has an impact, but the relevant question under Section 5 is whether that was motivated by a discriminatory purpose. See, all of the confusion comes here is because they keep quoting cases where plaintiffs, minority plaintiffs, have the burden. And of course, in Section 5, the burdens are reversed. So yes, in Rogers v. Lodge and Jingles and all of those cases, plaintiffs must prove racial block voting. They must prove that you can create a, a compact black majority district, and then they must show that the failure to do so has an effect. And as Justice Brennan noted quite clearly in Jingles, it only has an effect uh, if there is racial block voting. So that is part of a plaintiff's burden, and if they had the burden in the court below, they would have had to show that. But we had the burden, and we were making a much simpler argument. We were saying, fine, the plan has an impact. But that's not the reason we did it. We didn't, uh, 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 took the police jury plan over the NAACP plan. We took uh, the police jury plan over the NAACP plan because the NAACP plan clearly and irretrievably violated state law. But this, but this other evidence not only shows impact, it, it, it also shows what you might call uh, um, uh, disposition. Doesn't the uh, evidence of... Uh, of a violation on racial grounds of Section 2 uh, show that you're talking about people here who, uh, who are likely to discriminate on the basis of race. Well, I, I Isn't that relevant to the Section 5 determination? Uh, Your Honor, again, as, as appellants have correctly pointed out, the Board was aware of the impact of this plan. I mean, they can count. They knew that the NAACP plan had two black majority districts and their plan had none. Nobody's disputing that they were aware of the impact of this plan. No, but now, the question I'm goes about about awareness. I'm yes, talking, but, okay. about, I'm now, talking about intent. I'm right. talking about disposition. I'm right. talking about the character of the people who made the decision. And how would that inquiry be aided? By looking at regression analysis of racial elections that was done three years after the board's decision. They brought in an expert to go through and produce this evidence of racial block voting, which, by the way, he failed to produce. And of course, this plan has elected two black people. Well, I, I suppose the, the answer but, is that people haven't changed that much over the course of three years. Well, I, I do, you, do you dispute the fact that evidence of block voting, which in fact is, is evidence which discloses an intent, is irrelevant? No evidence of intent under Section 5? No, again, it is not irrelevant, particularly when plaintiffs have a burden. But it, it adds nothing to... You're what, saying it was just cumulative, is that it? it? It was superfluous and cumulative because racial block voting only tells you, again, whether black majority districts have so impact. So if, 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 if I may just sure. get clear on this, it would have been perfectly proper for the court to say, we will, we will consider this evidence 
for the Section 5 purpose issue. That would have been legally correct. Uh, sure. And, and uh, remember, the issue here is whether the court committed legal error. Did, did the court but, ever say that the reason it was keeping it out was that it was superfluous and cumulative? It said, I am considering evidence that is relevant uh, to purpose. No, Your Honor, it didn't say what its implicit assumptions were. Just like this court in Miller. This court in Miller analyzed the Section 5 purpose case. And it compared the legitimate non-discriminatory reasons for adopting the plan with less majority black districts than the plan with more majority black districts. The Justice Department, in that brief, urged upon them to in, this court to independently consider the stark evidence of racial block voting in Georgia and the history of discrimination and all those sorts of things. Now, the court didn't do that because, like the court below, it assumed that the well, absence I, of the majority districts had an Carbon, I, I just don't think the, the court's opinion on page 23A is consistent with what you're saying. Well, go, well, go up to the, to the top of that first full paragraph. Right. Um, uh, the, the court summarizes the, the argument that it's responding to. Defendant argues that even if we decide that a Section 2 action cannot be brought in a Section 5 preclearance proceeding, we must still consider evidence of a Section 2 violation as evidence of discriminatory purpose under Section 5. Again, we disagree. As we have said, the statutory language sets forth differing standards for the two sections. Isn't that, when read in, in relation to the quote that I started from, the, the, the block quote from the earlier opinion, isn't that a pretty clear indication of what the court was finding was, or, or assuming was, not that this evidence was cumulative or superfluous, but that it was irrelevant? Well, it, and, and you have conceded that it was relevant. Well, we, well, but in that technical sense, as this court has already pointed out, the court didn't rule it was irrelevant. It admitted it into evidence. Well, it says and the two sections have different purposes, <laughs> and, and the argument was that you must consider it, yes. the, the evidence that might go to Section 2 for Section 5 purpose, and the court says we disagree. Right. You must still consider evidence of a Section 2 violation. Now, that means that Section 5 courts trying to figure out the purpose of this discrete change must engage in the amorphous and very complicated analysis of whether not the change is purpose, purposefully discriminatory, but whether the underlying electoral system has the result of discriminating. It therefore must analyze racial blood. But that is not what the court said. The yes, court says these two sections have different sort of purposes. Finish his question Sorry. before you answer. He says these two sections have different purposes. And of course they do. They, they do, but they also have a purpose in common don't they? Sure. Because intent to cause dilution is relevant under Section 2 and under Section 5. Absolutely. And right. doesn't, the, doesn't the court's uh, explanation indicate that that's not what the court thought? If, if the court had said, we are not going to consider evidence that is relevant to both Section 2 and Section 5, you would be correct. But what the court said was, we'll consider evidence that's relevant to Section 5, but not relevant only to the Section 2 violation. How did the two statutes differ? One has a purpose standard and one has a result standard. Some evidence of Section well, they, 2... They both have purpose standards. Yes, they, they both have that in common. But how do they differ? They differ because Section 2 can be violated wholly without regard to purpose. And therefore, the evidence for a Section 2 violation has been consciously constructed to focus the court's inquiry not on the purpose for adopting this plan, but on the results of the system, racial block voting, and those sorts of things. 
And it was that subset of evidence that the court clearly said was the only evidence it was. But on your own argument, as I understand it, there was an error there, because evidence of racial block voting would indeed go to purpose, wouldn't it? The error has... Didn't, no. I, thought you, I thought you agreed that that was so, no. and that the reason it was kept out was, was cumulativeness. The argument was, in that court and this... What is, what is your position? Do you, do you think... You, you agree, you would, don't you, I, that, that evidence of racial block voting would be relevant evidence under the purpose prong of Section 5, it don't would, you? It would be relevant but superfluous. Therefore, what Section 5 courts should do is not exclude it as a matter of law, but pay attention to it only if it furthers the inquiry. What appellants are asking this court to do is to rule as a matter of law that they must always consider racial block voting. And my question again is, how does that further the analysis? You have just gone through a comparison of a plan that you assume ha is better for black voters compared to one that you have assumed is not good for black voters, and you found it is legal because it's not motivated by a discriminatory purpose. Now, you could spend um, 20 or so pages discussing the extraordinarily voluminous evidence showing that indeed plans with black majority districts are better for black voters, but I don't think that this court, as a matter of law, should rule that Section 5 courts must engage in that sort of thing. Well, what do we do if we're truly, at the end of the day, uncertain what it is the district court really excluded from I, consideration, if, if it's unclear to us? I, I think... Don't we have to remand? Your Honor, I, I understood this court's rule to be that ambiguities would be resolved in favor of district courts. Rogers v. Lodge is a perfect example of that. Rogers v. Lodge did not apply this court's subsequent decision in Mobile v. Bolden, but the court did a very searching analysis and said, could the district court have applied the purpose test under Mobile v. Bolden, and therefore it gave it the benefit of the doubt. I would submit, however, in the context and given the language, that this court did not make the ruling that appellants said. I think, may, may I ask you sure. a question? I think I understand your theory, and your argument's been very helpful to me, I might say. But uh, say there is in the record uh, evidence that they drew boundary lines to segregate blacks when they're working out school districts and just the opposite kind of lines when they, when they were doing voting districts. And under, under your argument, that would be relevant and should have been considered. Yes, Your Honor, of yes, course. Because yes, that goes to purpose. Of course. It, and if there's evidence in the record that that happened, and there's nothing, no mention of it in the opinion, doesn't that lend some support to the view that the court took a different line of reasoning than you're advocating? Your Honor, if there was any evidence of fracturing in this case, I think that would not be an unreasonable inference. There was no evidence of fracturing. They, Your Honor, if they had fractured black concentrations in Bossier Parish to create, uh, to fail to create the black majority districts, then obviously appellant's job would be real easy. All they would have to do is re undo the fracture and redraw the lines to create the black majority districts. But we know that's not what occurred because if you look at the maps, no one redrew but the Let me interrupt you with one other point there. I don't think our question is whether the court should have accepted the, the uh, other proposed map. I agree with that. That isn't it. The question is whether it was correct to, to adopt the plan. It did, it did it right. And the appellants try and make something very sinister about uh, the adoption of the police jury plan. The consistent contemporaneous evidence has been that they rejected the NAACP plan because it violated state law, and they adopted the police but jury plan. But, Mr. Carmen, this clarify one thing about what you call the NAACP plan that was rejected. 
I didn't think that that plan was put forward as a rival to some other plan. This case is not like the one we just heard in that regard. I thought that plan was just put forward to show that it would be possible to create minority districts. Not that this was a finished plan that was a rival to some other plan. Well, uh, whether it was a, a work in progress or a final plan, the point is that it is stipulated that it is impossible to create even a single black majority, majority district without splitting a precinct. And it is also quite clear from Louisiana... But splitting the precinct is something that even the jury, um, the, whatever it's called, the police jury did. Not, not uh, probably many, but uh, they did for their plan, didn't they? Yes, and appellants have confused this issue. It's very important that the court be clear on it. The police jury had no power under state law to split any precincts. It was a facial violation for the police jury to split a precinct. It was a facial violation for the board to split a precinct. That is on joint appendix at 277. The law could not be clearer under Louisiana. But to get permission to do it. No, no. How is it done? Because if you, from April 191 through May 15, 1991, police juries can split precincts. The board here asked to work with the police jury at that time so they could split the precincts in April and May of 1991. That's stipulated. The police jury rejected the overture. After May 15, 1991, it was impossible for the police jury to split precincts or the board to split precincts, and that is because that window of opportunity that the state legislature had consciously given to police juries so they could account for the 90 redistricting was now gone. Where is that in the Joint Appendix? You gave a page yeah, right Yes, that's Joint Appendix 277, Justice Scalia, and it says, notwithstanding any other provision of law, the precinct boundaries shall not be divided, abolished, consolidated, or the boundaries otherwise changed until after December 31, 1992. Now, could the board have waited until after December 31, 1992 to do its redistricting as appellants contend? The answer to that is found at the joint appendix on page 65. The United States' own chronology of events states quite explicitly at the top of 65, 12 92 of course the same date, date under Louisiana law by which school boards must reapportion. So, during the time that the school board was legally obliged to reapportion, the police jury and the board were legally prohibited from splitting a single precinct. That law is not, unfortunately, in the joint appendix, but it is Louisiana revised statutes at 17.71.5a. Is that law consistent with one person, one vote requirements, do you think? Your Honor, because of the window of opportunity. See, see, the logic of the law is this. You get Sorry, I don't oh. understand. Is such a state law uh, consistent with the requirements of one person, one vote in drawing districts? Uh, I took your question to mean, could they make adjustments for the 1990 census? But I may be misunderstanding. I'm, I'm asking, uh, this court has had several opinions that have required uh, the utilization of the principle of one person, one vote in districting for whatever purpose, if it's for voting, a police jury or a school board that votes and so forth. So is it consistent with that principle for a state law to say you can't 
uh, ignore a precinct boundary? What if you have to in order to... Oh, in order to... I, I, I now understand. In order to achieve... Districts uh, and achieve that requirement. Right. But uh, there was no violation, I don't believe, of the one-person, one-vote constitutional standard. I'm, I'm uh, asking if it were, do you think that state law could uh, prevail? Oh, I believe there's an exception in the law for boards with different numbers of members than police juries. To, they may split a precinct to come within plus or minus five uh, uh, in terms of ideal population deviation. But there was no argument. This court said plus or minus five is okay? I, I thought Mahan v. Howe used that as even just a presumptive guideline. In congressional redistricting, you much, must be much clearer. I had understood this court's decisions in Mahan and others to give local and state jurisdictions much broader discretion as long as it within, was within, roughly within 10% and everything was okay. And even, I think Mahan went to about 16.4, and they did that to preserve a town boundary. And here, so if you had to preserve a precinct boundary, I, I think you'd also be okay under law, now that I understand your question, Justice O'Connor. Why, why doesn't your argument, which is a very good argument as to why there was no uh, purpose uh, that violated Section 5, not show in order to see whether you're right or not, we ought to introduce all the other evidence. I mean, well, the other side, they say that uh, here are all these people in this board, uh, uh, which at that time had, had only a black member for a very short period of time. They, they, they didn't want the police jury district because they'd have to run against each other. Mm -hmm. and, and they didn't want the, the, the police district for some reasons that uh, then later on uh, they just ignored. And what happened in between? What happened in between was uh, uh, that the NAACP got busy and began to uh, talk about uh, a more proportionate system. So why isn't whether there could have been a more proportionate system or had to be a more proportionate system highly relevant? It is highly relevant. The court looked at the NAACP as an alternative. And it asked, asked itself the question, the, the proportionate plan, was this alternative objectively reasonable? And was the board's rejection of it motivated by discriminatory purpose? And in doing so, just to eliminate any ambiguity on this, it went through precisely the analysis that this court articulated in Arlington Heights. It did not cite Arlington Heights by name. I, I agree. The court had noted early on its opinion, citing cases where minority plaintiffs have the burden um, uh, makes it confusing when you're dealing with a Section 5 case where, of course, the burden is on the other side. It's, so it cited this court's voting rights cases of City of Richmond and McCain against Librand, uh, the purpose cases under Section 5. But if I could just briefly go through uh, the Arlington Heights factors. Uh, did it look at the specific sequence of events? There is a heading in the court's opinion that says we'll now look at the specific sequence of events. Did it look at the contemporary statements of the affected board members? It spends about two pages walking through what it ultimately concluded were these ambiguous statements by uh, the board Mr. members. Mr. Collins, I take it from what you said that you do accept that Arlington Heights is relevant sure. precedent. Right. So you think that it was just so understood that that the district court didn't need to mention it? Your Honor, I, to be candid, I don't think uh, what people look at, what district courts look at in discriminatory purpose cases is, is a very complicated inquiry. I mean, I think they look at the direct and circumstantial evidence of 
Why did the board do this, and do we believe them, and is it objectively reasonable? The factors of Arlington Heights are not so arcane. If you ask somebody on the street what would you look at, he'd probably come up with the same thing. So I really must insist that the appellants here are really seeking to elevate form over substance. They're seeking to require district courts to recite the blazingly obvious. We're now looking at the black majority district, and we're looking at the other plan. The black majority plan, if it's not chosen, has an impact. The court didn't do that, Miller. I, I don't know of any purpose case that does. If the, if the appellant's argument is that the findings were clearly erroneous because there was so much other evidence pointing the other direction, th that isn't uh, requiring the district court to put its uh, opinion in some sort of procrustean bed. That's an ordinary clearly erroneous argument. Oh, sure. And, and, but I don't think they think they can win the clearly erroneous argument because no race-blind actor would have behaved in any way different from this board. Uh, again, the NAACP plan violated state law. The police jury plan did not. Even assuming there was this loophole that appellants talk about, you could only make the NAACP comply with state law by going to the police jury, taking some affirmative steps. The argument to the police jury for complying with state law would have been objectively irrational. It would have been, we'd now like you to create 65 additional precincts in a district with uh, 56 precincts. No rational person would have taken the NAACP plan if you were blind to the racial composition. So their clearly erroneous case reduces to the proposition that it's not plausible to believe that this board did the only rational thing for rational reasons. You must conclude, as a matter of law, that this board did the rational thing for a racial purpose. I concede that that is conceivable, but I don't think it's a grounds for finding the district court's contrary conclusion clearly erroneous, particularly since, again, it was a facial violation. Why was it rational to set up the school um, districts with some districts that had a few schools, several schools, and some districts that had no schools at all? <laughs> it just seems a very odd kind of a school district thing. Your Honor, school board members represent parents and children. They don't represent buildings. It was never a redistricting criteria in Bossier Parish to have a school building in each district. Mrs. Jackson's testimony below was that under the 1980 plan, the, the old plan, she did not have a building in her district. It is stipulated that well before the NAACP plan ever came into existence, they did not provide their cartographer, Mr. Joyner, with school attendance zones. But so, I thought that was one of the reasons why they were resisting the jury police no, plan originally. That is what the appellants are attributing to them. And there is a stipulation that school boards typically look at that. But the undisputed evidence is this school board did not care about that. And we know that to a certainty because it didn't give their line drawer any evidence of where the school buildings were. So are you saying so, that it was incumbency was the only thing that kept, kept them from resisting this? And the incumbency paled in significance to the advantages of the police jury plan for guaranteeing preclearance. Pairs of incumbents are, of course, only a problem if both incumbents are going to run again. There was two pairs of incumbents here. But the evidence, again, by Mr. Musgrove at trial, by Mr. Harvey at trial, and by Ms. Jackson, again, in a deposition expert. I think you've answered the question, Mr. Carvin. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Patrick, you have five minutes remaining. Thank you. And if the, uh, Chief, Mr. Chief Justice, if the court please, uh, I'd just like to return to a question I didn't answer very well from uh, Justice O'Connor. You asked about uh, cases where the, uh, where the court has, in the Section 5 context, 
reflected uh, its respect for the Arlington Heights standards. And they, those cases are cited, they're beyond Rogers versus Lodge. They're cited in the first full paragraph on page 17 of our brief. I'm sorry, it wasn't very uh, complete earlier. Also, um, there was a statement made about, uh, about precinct changes and precinct splitting that was, uh, has been argued by, uh, uh, by the parish. In fact, precincts could be split, indeed were split by the police jury. They split 20 precincts. You'll see that on uh, stipulated at 88A and 88, 89A. Uh, the only argument is, the only did issue... They, did they do that within the, uh, the window uh, that the legislature gave them? I believe they did, yes. And the only argument, um, uh, Justice Kennedy, is that, is that um, the school board could not split the precincts without the police jury's permission. The school board never tried to get the police jury's permission. They expected to do so. They set out to draw a different plan. Well, the, the argument's a little further than that, as I understood the last argument. That is, even the police jury itself could not do it once the window of opportunity had closed. Well, but the window of opportunity opens again after the 1st of uh, January 90, 1993, and that's, that's important. That was known to the school board at the time. But they it had been... But again, the argument made was that they had an obligation to come up with, uh, with districts before then. Well, that's right. They, uh, uh, I understand that argument. Um, but uh, what we do know is that... Is it wrong? Did they have no obligation to come up with I'm not convinced it's right, uh, uh, Justice Scalia, but what is clear is that consolidation after the window opened again um, has happened in, uh, uh, in Bossier Parish. Uh, it was done by the uh, police jury and could have been done, and indeed the record indicates that the school board could have drawn a plan with two majority-minority uh, uh, districts in it that ended up with fewer precincts in it than the police jury plan. The other point I wanted to, uh, wanted to make is that the court needs to understand that this is not a choice. This case is not about a choice between the plan they adopted and the NAACP alternative. That is a, that's, a, that's a ruse. It's very important to understand uh, that, that this is about, uh, um, uh, about the school board's unwillingness to consider any alternative at all. Uh, to the plan that they knew at the time was dilutive and which they admit on the record uh, uh, at the time they knew they could have drawn one with two reasonably compact majority-minority districts. It is, it is not maximizing uh, for the Department of Justice uh, to question uh, a jurisdiction that draws a plan which hardly serves its own interests, that uh, pits incumbents against each other, that uh, distributes the schools in irrational uh, ways and is dilutive. Uh, 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 rather than adopting a plan that is fair, and that is really what this case uh, is about. If there are no other questions. Thank you, Mr. Patrick. Thank the you. case is submitted.